politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard anew our life, our liberty, and our property to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, Wednesday, October 19th. And yes, it's already the middle of the week. Sorry for my absence yesterday. I was thinking as I was driving back, I was with family and... I have a bunch of nephews that are in their teens, and just like I was at that age, they're really excited about the upcoming elections, just under three weeks to go, and they're looking at the polls every second in the RCP poll page, and they're like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think, Uncle Daniel, about uh, Arizona on this race, that race? And I said, look, I was once like that too, but I hate to tell you, be prepared to be disappointed. And I could guarantee you one thing. The two idols, the midterm GOP congressional wins, and then Trump, which is embodied in 2024, the next election, is not the way to go. And so long as you think those two things are the things to focus on, we will never get out of this morass. Record illegal immigration, record crime, record biomedical fascism, killing millions of people, excess deaths and injuries, disabilities, up the wazoo. Obviously, the coming coming climate fascism, energy, brownout, blackout that the BBC evidently is preparing for. None of it will matter unless we change the game. Because we don't even have a party that's dealing with this. The Wall Street Journal has a headline, Democrat pollster Doug Schoen says to brace for a Republican wave. The Republican Party is on the cusp of a substantial midterm election victory that could rival their wins in 94 and 2010. And it struck me, because I lived through both of those, as my nephews didn't or didn't, you know, wasn't old enough in the case of the, the latter, and I said, at least during those elections, you had a new Gingrich, you had a Tea Party, where on paper, they were railing against the issue of our time. Here, we literally have a shot that killed millions, injured tens of millions of people. And the more it kills people, the more they go on to approve and authorize more. And now they're meeting this week to place it on the childhood vaccination schedule. And have you heard Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell or John Thune or John Cornyn or Steve Scalise or anyone in leadership say a word about it and promise that they will defund this, they will defund this authority, use the budget bill, that they will work on repealing the PrEP Act and the National Childhood Vaccine whatever immunization Act of 1986, which absolves them of liability. You don't hear anything. So that's the reality. Nothing will change with these Republicans. That's why you count on me for a 2020 vision of politics every day, something you're not going to hear elsewhere. So likewise, I need you to go out and get for yourself the only pair of eyewear that is not only conservative, it's the only conservative American eyewear company I know of, but also 
you will come out seeing 2020 with their eyewear. A lot of people can't really function with progressives. They import the world's gold standard Rodenstock eyewear, which Ronald Reagan himself wore. Scientists at Rodenstock use biometric research to measure the eye in over 7,000 points. It's actually one thing where tech has been used for the better. Their big or biometrical intelligence glasses give you a seamlessly natural flow that works perfectly with your brain, gives you the sharpest vision, and really makes you think properly because your your thought process is aligned with your sight. Um, you can see up to 40% better near and intermediate distance. Both my wife and myself are severely nearsighted, so we certainly appreciate our Better Spectacles glasses. If you want what we have, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment today and get 61% off their progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted rodentstock frames. That's betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So the ASIP, that's the CDC committee, they're meeting today. And they're or tomorrow, they're looking into the new chikungunya vaccine, the COVID vaccines for children and babies, the COVID vaccines in pregnancy, the monkeypox vaccine, which, by the way, is already racked up a bunch of various reports, the dengue fever vaccine, the polio vaccine, and then, of course, placing the COVID shots on the childhood schedule. And it, it's just bizarre we have Pearl Harbor and 9-11 times a million. And it's like it's not even news. Outside of a couple of commentators, Tucker did cover it. But outside of them, this is not even happening. No one cares. And they're going on and on. We haven't rectified the death of the COVID vaccines. Okay, well, at least you think they care about COVID itself, right? We're told, oh, COVID is so deadly. Imagine going through 9-11 and not having banned box cutters in airplanes after 9-11. So we, we went through a virus that not only killed millions of people and disabled people, that thing was designed to screw people up, but it wrecked the economy and quality of life of, of countless billions of people Long-term damage for hundreds of millions of people. We're never going to recover from it in our lifetime. And yet, you might have heard this earlier this week, this story at a Boston, University of Boston. They're working on a COVID variant that has an 80% death rate. Now, I know they're denying it now and saying it's not true, but the reality is they are absolutely working on um, gain of function. Whether it's okay, you know, not proven that it would kill people that way, it would kill one group of mice at an 80% rate, doesn't necessarily mean it will kill people at that rate, but that's not the point. The point is, they are accelerating gain of function. What do you think they were doing in the biolabs in Ukraine? And we're supposed to believe Putin's the bad guy and not our own government? And we still haven't rectified that. Not one iota. Not one iota. And it's like going through the 2010 election without discussing Obamacare. That's the equivalent of what we're experiencing now. 
And then even what they do discuss is through the prism of things that they themselves caused. They themselves caused. I want to get that first, by the way. Great piece from Gato, buddy of mine. We correspond regularly. He's the bad catitude uh, substack. Biden's plan for next pandemic eyes vaccine supply within 130 days. That was a headline from uh, Bloomberg News. And basically, it's not just about these variants or these boosters. They are now going to create endless pandemics. See, why do we need a pan- you know, response within 130 days? I thought this only happens once, once every 100 years. Well, no, it doesn't because it's not natural. They're inducing it. Do you understand 130 days? You know what that is? Basically four months. Four months to have vaccines ready in any pandemic. You know what that means? Transhumanism. Killing our genes. Killing and maiming millions of people. In other words, 9-11 killed 3,000 people. This thing and its response killed millions of people, injured tens of millions of people. It's still going on, and they're still doing it. Meaning it would be bad enough if all the COVID policies, the COVID vaccines were suspended, but we're not holding them accountable. No, they're still doing it. They're accelerating it. The more damaging information comes out, the more they accelerate it. And like I said last week, the way they can get away with that is because typically you have an opposition party that will jump on you for doing anything that you could pin the blame of death on on the incumbent party. Typically, you demagogue the other side, even exaggerate what they do. In this case, they could literally kill millions, and Republicans will not throw the flag. They won't even talk about it, much less promise to use the budget bill to defund. You even have to have a budget bill. They're throwing away their leverage for the entire year. And then go after these vaccine safety stuff the immunization liability bills. And by the way, the states too. Florida is the only state I saw they put out that said, look, ASIP is meeting. Nothing changes in Florida. No child will ever be forced to get it. You know, and I know some want Florida to go even farther. I do too. But where's the other 49 states? Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, South Carolina, the Dakotas, Idaho, Wyoming. Where are these states? I'm not seeing a word about this. A word about this. Where are the Republicans? They're nowhere. They're nowhere. And by the way, they're nowhere on inflation, too. That's all they want to talk about. It's not like they're going to do anything about it. So invest wisely. This is not going to be fixed anytime soon. You will be disappointed. And that's why you need to put your money into something of value gold and silver. Um, This is like the first time, I think there were only other two years this century where stocks were outperformed by bonds. That's how bad the market's been. I recommend Birch Gold of all the companies because they allow you to transfer, convert your IRA, which I've been for years putting in the stock market, Vanguard, things like that, IRA, uh, 401k into precious metals. 
for your retirement. Don't allow the left to devalue your savings. Text Daniel to 989898 and claim your free no-obligation info kit from Birch Gold. Um, it's tax-sheltered account. Find out why so many people have given them a five-star review. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Um, thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Text Daniel to 989898 and secure your future with gold. So you have this Harvard-Harris poll. Republicans, they, they asked respondents the following. Republicans want to close the border to illegals, increase incarceration of criminals, reduce or freeze government spending. Does this appeal to you as a program or not? 60% of respondents said it appealed to them. And I was thinking to myself, this is the disconnect. See, because the left is so crazy, everyone assumes, well, if there's a Democrat, there's a Republican, right? If there's Red Sox, there's Yankees. If there's night, there's day. So people assume logically, well, there's got to be another side opposing it, and they are running campaigns, making a lot of noise, complaining in the abstract about Democrats. So people support it. They say, Republicans, please go have it. They might win a big victory. But here's the problem. They're liars. That's the beauty of a controlled opposition. You get the other side to jujitsu their energy into a black hole. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, Republicans, please save us. And, you know, it's like these movies where the cops are really the robbers. Yeah, they might win big. What are they going to do about it? Susquehanna poll actually showed Mitch McConnell is the most unpopular political figure in, in America. Only 11% of voters have a favorable opinion of him. But he's going to be the one running the show. Running that show. I, I want you guys to listen to this clip of Ted Cruz. Um, look, I, I mean, you know, I supported him for president, but I don't believe in idols. And over the last couple of years, he's become nothing but a talking point machine. He's very good at talking points. Oh, the Democrats this. And he, he could articulate it well. He was always a good speaker, good debater. But what are you going to do about it? Take a listen to Ted right here. Top three issues in the country, according to national polling, are number one, inflation, and especially gas prices. Number two, crime. And number three, illegal immigration. And all three of them, the Democrat far-left agenda of Biden and Harris and Pelosi and Schumer is a train wreck. And, and, and if you look at people are hurting, their lives are more difficult. If you're a young person coming out of school, the cost of rent's gone up, the cost of food's gone up. You don't have the ability to, to, to make basic ends meet. It's even worse if you're a young parent and you're trying to put diapers on your kid, you're trying to get baby formula for your kid, you're trying to get braces on your kid. All of those costs have gone through the roof. And, and then there's seniors. You know, if you've spent 30, 40 years saving, you've been responsible, you've done what you're supposed to do, you have a 401k, you have a retirement, and suddenly the Democrats get in power, and in two years your retirement drops 20, 25, 30%. The average nationally is $34,000 that's dropped on 401ks. You've got seniors who are living on that. they got a whole lot less retirement savings, and the cost of everything has skyrocketed. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of seniors who were getting ready to retire. I just read a recent story that said fully one-third of seniors who are still working have decided to delay their retirement because now their retirement savings is hey, less Senator, and they can't afford it. People can are hurting, that. and that's why we're going to see the kind of tidal wave election. Okay, 
So we have Ted talking about, um, you know, the problems with Biden, inflation, it's terrible. But there's always two things that never get disclosed. Number one, you went along with the COVID stuff. You went along with Ukraine very passionately. He debated Steve Dace on the show about that. And you will go along with the next current thing. And number two is, henceforth, what are you going to do about it? This is going to be a tidal wave election because Democrats have done so much destruction, more than he's ever seen in two years. That's true. But then what are you going to do about it? If it's that destructive, that you know, consequential to people's livelihood, and it's that unpopular, then it should be very easy to use your leverage immediately. But what are you going to do about that? I'm not even hearing anyone say, uh, dude, imagine coming, waking up November 10th. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let's say Republicans win 250 House seats, you know, 53 Senate seats, whatever, 30 governorships, record legislatures, county, down the ballot. So you have a lot of political capital to spend. You know what's going to happen in the lame duck session? They're going to screw us on a bunch of issues. They're going to pass gay marriage, but then they're going to write away the budget until next October. And by then, your political capital dissipates. Imagine you come in January, you have a February 1st deadline, let's say, for a CR, and you rewrite the budget and you defund all grooming in government. You defund that Inflation Reduction Act and the $400 billion in, in green energy uh, you know, mandates and subsidies and the IRS agents. You prohibit the FBI from targeting political opponents. Really, should they should be defunded. Defund Pfizer, defund Moderna, open up a commission on vaccines and liability and compensate the victims of Pfizer and Moderna. Defund any release of illegal aliens into the country. Right? You can't say, this, oh, here's some more funding for border security. That's what Republicans will do. Democrats will have no problem passing that, by the way. They'll just use it. Borders, they're, even ICE they're using for resettling illegals. So certainly the other agencies, you have to prohibit that. And then also against any prohibition, if they don't listen to it, you have to have a civil and criminal cause of action. But they won't do any of this. They won't do any of this. And that's what's so sad. Nothing. Do you know over 7,000 people injured by COVID vaccines who filed claims are not being compensated. Remember, it's extremely hard to do this. So these are, I mean, obviously, this, this 7,000, there's, there's millions upon millions. But um, if a petition is filed and is determined that a vaccine or a covered countermeasure caused an injury, uh, the Health Resources and what's it called? Uh, Services Administration under HHS... They do have two programs to compensate. Again, the, the hoops you have to run through are, are extremely limited. Very hard to get compensated. There's there's this there's, there's, um, countermeasures injury compensation program and the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. 
But even the people who had serious, you know, they were able to prove it. No one's been compensated yet. And then there's the stuff that we'll never be able to prove. This is from uh, Joseph Mercola. They published his work at the Epic Times based on ethical skeptics' amazing work with cancer. Analysis of U.S. Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. The MMWR data, they have weekly data put up by CDC, has been filtering and redesignating cancer deaths as COVID deaths since when? Since April 2021 to eliminate the cancer signal. The signal is being hidden by swapping the underlying cause of death with the main cause of death. Uncontrollable turbocharged cancers the medical establishment had never seen before only started to occur after the rollout of the vaccine. Not in 2020, by the way, when it was just COVID. Before it was manipulated, remember the DMED, Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, saw that. And I know there's questions over what was real and not real with that data, but I will tell you what is real is that the military doctors saw from day one clinically, they saw you know 21-year-old uh, you know, Navy grunts would come in with sudden metastatic cancer. Now, it takes a little while to determine whether something is a trend or it's anecdotal, if you're, let's say, a general oncologist. But if you're a military doctor only for active-duty soldiers, you could count on your hands how many cancers you've seen. So if all of a sudden, right after the vaccines come out, you see sudden metastatic cancer, you know that it's being caused by the vaccines. You don't need a study. That's obvious. Obviously, the cancer patients have gotten younger and younger. But um, he cites ethical skeptics' work, how he proved this. I'm not going to go through the math now. But it is truly, truly scary. None of that is ever going to get traced back. I want you to think about your worst nightmare on the most despotic government, what it could have done to its people. And find anything hypothetically that could have measured up to the COVID genocide. And yet, it, they, they have the hubris to go on and authorize and mandate even more. They're like, what the heck? Children were never in danger of COVID. This variant is not a danger to anyone. The shots don't work for it. They have negative efficacy. 7.7% got a level of injury that they needed to see a doctor. 10, 12% had irregular heartbeat, shortness of breath, uh, you know, chest pain. And then 1% to 2% had death or, and life-altering injuries. This is out of 5 point, whatever, like 5.5 billion people in the world got at least one shot. And to the Republican Party, this doesn't even exist doesn't even exist. What am I supposed to think about it? Oh, the economy is bad. There's too much inflation. By the way, you know, Republicans are all talking about this inflation. Morgan Stanley put out a statement, um, and they're not wrong, that excessive fiscal stimulus provided during the pandemic um, was was what turbocharged consumption and drove inflation to 40-year high. 
Name me the Republican aside from Thomas Massey who opposed that. So that's the thing. You have all these great talking points. But you look at Republicans. They're not changed people. Like, in, in, in my mind, there was an inkling that maybe the Republican Party after the Bush years learned its lesson from Obama and the Democrat trifecta that came into office in 20, 2009. You had the recession then, the year of the Tea Party. I, you, know, you, you could think maybe things changed. Now, you look at their mentality, the way they approach sacred issues, vaccines, real spending and dependency, foreign policy, and race, which is really the underpinning of a lot of terrible policies we're going to talk about with our guests coming up. They're the same thing. They're the same weather vane. They'll just pepper some of the talking points with a little bit of the flavor in a very superficial sense of what the base is talking about at any given time. But this is worse than 94 and 2010. There on the surface, if you lived during the time, you could at least fool yourself and say, wow, this is exciting. You know, they might lie to us, but at least they're promising to deliver. They're not even talking about it. Name me one major issue that Kevin McCarthy even speaks about in a meaningful way, much less makes an ironclad meaningful promise on a leverage point that will actually affect policy. Never. We never see this. And wait till we get to, to the energy blackouts. So we're going to have all this, uh, all these talking points. It's all talking points. But let's get to our guest today, um, back by popular demand. So Pedro Gonzalez is really one of the more popular guests we have on. A young, up-and-coming thinker that comes to the scene, you know, after I've been in politics, and he's like, Dude, what we're doing is not working. We're going to think along a different process. And, and we're going to stop this business of what does this mean for conservatism as an end to itself rather than um, we just need to survive our life, liberty, property. I mean, we're really getting screwed here. And I figure I'll bring on another pessimistic voice to see if maybe there's a hint of optimism, uh, if maybe there is something to look forward to with these midterms, with the presidential election, what can we do? What should we be focusing on? And what are some of the albatrosses around the necks of this so-called conservative movement, these habits that it seems like it cannot kick, that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy as to why these election wins on par with 94 and 2010, assuming that this is on par with those waves, makes them meaningless because Republicans will never ca capitalize on them in the way that they should because conservatives don't demand it of them. Pedro writes at Chronicles Magazine. Chronicles Magazine, you could check him out. He's also on Twitter. I don't know how he hasn't been kicked off like me. Um, hopefully he's not an FBI informant, but Pedro, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us again. No, I, uh, I've considered law enforcement, but never FBI, so... Never FBI, yeah. I mean, there there will reach a point where anyone who's not kicked off is a Ray Epps, but I think I think you've proven yourself so far. So, do you disagree with me that you know headed into the next couple of weeks, there's complete paralysis. No one wants to discuss 
uh, long-term strategic vision. And when I say long-term, I mean like the next four to six months. I don't even mean 20 years because uh, everyone's just excited, agog with happiness about this coming wave. But that rip- my point is it's not even like they're going to betray the promise. They're not even making the promise. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I've, I asked, I've asked several people this question. What's the GOP platform? Apart from, you know, the um, Republican Research Committee or whatever it's called, tweeting from its official account, you know, snippets of Biden saying things that are just very dumb or evidence of the fact of his cognitive decline. I don't know what the GOP platform is apart from basically running against Biden, but they don't actually have a kind of articulated vision of what what their victory would mean. And it's not wrong to point that out. It's also not pessimistic because there, there's actually several historical precedents for exactly a moment like this. And one of them is the revolution of 1994, the so-called Gingrich revolution. I think this is probably one of the, one of the more recent examples of this. You could argue that Trump in his own way also kind of inaugurated a kind of Republican revolution. Uh, but the, the Gingrich revolution is similar um, and the, the bottom line is, is that if we don't learn from how the GOP has operated in the past, then we're just going to continue re- repeating the same mistakes. And that is actually the definition of insanity. So if we don't learn how they operated in the past, I mean, I think that, that that's a huge deal. And, and again, that's even when they had an affirmative agenda that looked more believable. And yeah. right now it's like the Democrats will literally like beat us in the streets <laughs> and Kevin McCarthy will say, you know, the economy is kind of lackluster. You know, it's your fault. Yeah. is inflation. Like, whoa, what? Yeah. What just happened? Well, there, there was something recently. It might have been McCarthy himself who actually said that our agenda is going to be, you know, we're going to try to tackle debt uh, and then cuts to Medicaid and, and something about Social Security. It's incredible. It's just like <laughs> not, nothing about Ukraine, you know, and, and the, even though Biden in his in his, you know, uh, steep decline has acknowledged that we're the closest to nuclear war that we've been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, you've got the CDC that's considering forcing your children to take vaccines for them to participate in society. And the GOP is just like, yeah, we're going to try to tackle the debt. But even but it's a joke because the, tackling the debt never includes, you know, the elephant in the room, which is cutting off not just uh, money to this this grift in Ukraine, but also to the bloated uh, defense budget, somehow our debt hawkishness never actually impacts the things that it should impact, you know? We're the new current thing, meaning most of the explosive spending occurred because it was catalyzed by a lie, some sort of upending event that just opened up the spigots, and COVID was the biggest one. They they went along with all of that when they had two of the three branches. Never make mention of it. Um, what do you expect is going to be the focus, the game, the distraction in the let's say six months following the election? That's a good question. Um, I think that the the focus from the base is. I don't I, I don't want to be too pessimistic here, but basically my sense is, is that uh, the GOP is going to win and the Biden administration is going to continue doing insane things and the base is going to get angry at the GOP, either failing to stop it from happening or being complicit in it. And I, I think that's it. I mean, it's difficult, right, because 
you you want you ask yourself that question what is the focus of the GOP going to be in the next six months and I don't know I mean again the only thing that we've heard from McCarthy is you know we're we're going to focus on the debt and and cutting uh, basically entitlement spending and and things like that but that's that's really it they haven't said we have this grand vision of what we want to accomplish you know, six months after midterms, uh, if and when this red wave comes. And it looks like it might, honestly. Um, it looks like Republicans might actually benefit from how badly uh, the economy, yep. how bad the economy is and how badly Biden's been governing. Um, but again, I think that that almost that almost guarantees that you can be disappointed because then there's no expectations for Republicans to do anything remarkable. Right. Like they're, they're just basically they just need to do the bare minimum. Uh, but but again, we can't even count to them for that. I mean, last night you had Marco Rubio uh, in, in in a debate who basically accused Russia of attacking NATO and blowing up its own uh, pipelines in Europe. And I mean, I, the implication of that is, is very clear, like the GOP or at least key members of the GOP want to get even more hawkish. In other words, their criticism of Biden is that we haven't invested enough money in the war in Ukraine and we haven't we haven't gotten aggressive enough against Russia like that is. That seems to be a top priority for Republican politicians, which is not the case for the Republican voter. That's a really important point because I was out yesterday and I saw all these headlines over how Rubio cleaned the clock of this Democrat opponent in Florida there. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what happened? So you're saying basically the big headline was, hey, we're not strong enough in support of Ukraine. And then, of course, no mention of the vaccine genocide that we we now know. I mean, there's nobody who doesn't admit that. It's clear as day a year and a half later. There's so many more of these terrible things in the pipeline. And it doesn't exist. They they actually support it. They actually have no problem with it. Um, So where does – let me ask you a question Steve Dace asked me, and and I'm curious what you think of this. Steve had an interesting proposition. So – there's nothing quite like conservatives. They're just, I don't know if they're dumber than any human being alive, weaker. I, I can't figure out conservatives. If there's a genetic mutation, just people that enjoy being lied to, enjoy losing, um, enjoy satiating themselves on superficial talking points. But Steve made a very interesting point. He said, look, okay, that's the people we're used to. But in this election... There are signs that a lot of newer people are going to be roped into voting Republican just because they're desperate. They have nowhere to go. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, you know, and, and, and Hispanics, I think, are probably at the lead of that because you probably have the largest share of new voters that won't be voting for, for Democrats in that demographic. Well, they're not necessarily used to this blind, like, oh, we got to vote GOP no matter what, so the Democrats don't win, right? I mean, it, it's more practical. Like, dude, we're, we're getting crushed. We have the grooming. We have the you know border. We got um, the medical fascism, and uh, obviously the crime is, is a big issue uh, among them that the Republicans have neglected for so long, and they actually felt that you had to pander uh, to the de-incarceration agenda to win their vote, and it turns out, of course, as we knew, is the exact opposite. So what happens to those people? Like, do they make demands that our people, or, you know, I include myself in that, never bothered to make as conservatives? They might. I'd like to think so. Um, because I, if you're moving into the Republican Party this late in the game, it's probably because 
you, you're reacting to the insanity of the left, right? It's not just like, well, I like the fiscal responsibility of the GOP because, as we've discussed, uh, GOP and fiscal responsibility, it's, it's an oxymoron, actually. Uh, they, they like to spend uh, money just as much as Democrats do on, on things that are uh, not good. So I think that if you're moving into the GOP, it's probably because you feel like your kids are threatened by something that the left and the Democratic Party are doing. And so, yeah, I, I certainly I think that there, the, the possibility of these people being basically kind of like radical converts who are demanding uh, basically a political party that is willing and able to defend their kids, whether it's from transgenderism or critical race theory or uh, vaccines, obviously, then, yeah, I think these people are going to be I, I want to hope that they're going to be more willing to make demands that conventional kind of longtime uh, battered wife syndrome conservatives have just given up making or don't feel like uh, are don't feel like they should make. Uh, again, that's being hopeful, uh, but it's just hard to see how someone after everything that has happened in the last few years would finally, you know, decide to, to vote GOP unless it was for those reasons, you know, like you feel threatened by this stuff. And I think you, you actually kind of saw this dynamic with the vaccines, right? Like I, I said a few things on Twitter uh, about this. And basically, I think that this is a huge red line for a lot of people. And the response I got was, well, what about transgenderism? Wasn't that supposed to be the red line? You know, but people kind of just, just to kind of have a lot of parents are kind of indifferent to it, or they don't know what to make about it. But the difference is, is that the federal government is not forcing your kids to be transgender to go to school or to participate you know, in, in, in basic activities that everyone else is allowed to participate in. This is very different. The federal government is, is insisting you need to, or could be insisting if this actually happens, that your kid needs to take this extremely dangerous vaccine that even like moderate, independent, middle of the road people are, are now acknowledging as such. Yep. If your kid wants to go to school, like that is a massive red line. And there will be people who will leave the Democratic Party and vote Republican for that reason, because they want protection from that. But again, the GOP has not said a word about this. It's, it's astonishing. Like, I got so many messages from people, from parents that I can't repeat what they were saying because they're just so angry that this is that this is happening in America. The CDC could try to force their kids to take something so dangerous. I mean, it was when we were talking about this a year and a half ago, it was more subtle and you have to be really schooled on on this issue, the data, the science with our Patriot doctors. But now I would have never believed a year and a half ago that we would have this much data. And it's like, well, I mean, it doesn't kill 51 percent of people. It might only you know kill one to two percent of five and a half billion people in the world or and, and you know, clinically injure seven to 10 percent. Like, whoa, like, and, and that's fine. Like, you know, that's 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 normal. It is shocking. So the other big silent figure on this issue and many other issues is Trump. Um, one thing I think, as sure as the sun rising the next day, is we wake up shortly after the midterms and guess what? Well, you see they won the House, maybe the Senate, but they don't have 60 votes. They can't really do anything. And then 90% are rhinos, so we can't do anything. But okay, wait until 20. Geez, I can't even keep track. What, 2025? Okay, January 2025. We'll be dead by then, you know, um, eating bugs and drinking sewage. But 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 we're supposed to long for that somehow. There's no solution before then. Do, do you have confidence in the Trump world that he's like, oh, man, I get it. I get the issues that matter. I get the way they matter. I get the way I misread issues, misread personnel. 
Um, I'm going to change up my, my focus, my message, and most importantly, my personnel. Are you getting that impression? Uh, no, not really. And I'm often accused of being kind of like a, like a right-wing Trump basher, but someone who actually is critical of Trump from basically the correct position, you know, as yeah. someone who actually believes, I, I actually believe in Trumpism. Like I, I, I defend Trumpism uh, and I, I fervently believe in it, but no, I, I, it's just this is what's so endlessly frustrating about Trump is he always says the right things and his knee jerk reaction to things is typically correct. But then he just has this strange habit of not following through and instead kind of deferring to the people around him who are, who are often, you know, the worst people uh, positioned in the right places. And I don't really see that that's that's changed. And the, the other thing, too, is like. He he actually knew he was aware of this personnel problem while he was still in the White House. And that actually made it even more frustrating because, you know, I hear from people in the White House that that Trump would basically be privately complaining uh, about people like Jared Kushner and that he would consult with other other members of his administration and ask things to to people like, you know, do you think Jared's uh, jailbreak bill is, is going to get us more black voters? And the consensus internally was like, no, like that's. It's, it's not going to be basically this is the wrong thing to invest so much resources in a jailbreak bill. Right. And, and then Trump would agree with them. But then publicly, like literally within 48 hours, publicly, he would praise Jared Kushner as a star. And so it's just very frustrating because Trump just seems kind of enabled. Or, uh, ironically, the guy who you know is known for you're fired is actually very uh, reluctant to fire people. <laughs> and um, and I, it's weird because, you know, we're, we're talking about the vaccine, but Trump seems to be now holding up the vaccine as like one of his greatest accomplishments. And it seems like he gets crickets at rallies whenever he talks about it. Right. And for good reason, because, you know, we're like, we keep hearing these horror stories about people, whatever age, like young, uh, middle-aged and old, whose lives have been ruined by this stuff. And then, you know, Trump is still actually kind of propping it up as, as a reason to vote for him again, or a reason to say, thank you. It's just, it's really bizarre. It's, it's like he's in his own little world right now, but but I think the Trump will always have that kind of um, that charisma, right? The the the, the magnetism that draws people to him, yes. regardless of what he actually says. Um, so I, it's just it's a it's a it's a difficult thing to deal with. Do you see enough of the base understanding that dynamic, and if there would be a better choice? And when I say a better choice, okay, I don't just mean oh, okay another candidate running for president. But I mean, you know, like you and I talk about national divorce. We can't live in the same country as these people. Just rethinking the way we do everything in general, um, the issues we focus on, the strategies we focus on. It's not just the presidential election and who you're going to support. Do you think they can move beyond him as the savior to realize, no, it's not going to save us at, at best, and we need to look for something new? I think I don't blame people. I don't blame anybody for um, still supporting Trump, obviously. And, and like part of me uh, still is still like, you know, I, 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 I want to like Trump and I, I, I'm almost open to voting for him again just because it would be so chaotic. I know that you'd be guaranteed chaos at this point, which might be good, <laughs> and which might be good. I, I'm not sure. Um, but no, basically, I, I just think uh, you can't get past him right now. And it's funny because Megyn Kelly actually said the same thing to who was it? I think it was Dave Rubin. And, and she kind of said the same thing. Like, look, whether you like him or not, Trump has a kind of a unique 
um, personality that, that is just magnetic to a lot of followers. And, I, and I, I think that if you're upset with that, you have to understand that what is the alternative, you know, like look at the GOP, look at the, you know, the potential presidential candidates. Uh, and for the most part, everyone is fairly underwhelming and no one really has the kind of vision uh, even if it's just rhetorical, you know, like obviously the, the problem with Trump is the follow through. It's just I, I understand why people are, are uh, still invested in him. I think it has a lot to do with just hope that there's there's a way out of this that is not just terrible and doesn't end in something traumatic like national divorce. Um, but that's why I've also focused on on the states. Like, look, I think that right now, if if I'm a Republican governor, I'm talking about uh, that even if the CDC decides to mandate these yep. uh, vaccines as part of the schedule, not in my state. Like not in my we, state. Will op- we will openly defy the CDC. And anybody who tries to enforce these things from the federal government gets arrested under the 10th Amendment. That's you know, like, what needs to happen. I think he... instead of – sorry, I, but I just want to end on this, uh, this sure. point on this note. Instead of like hoping for like Trump or the next Trump or whatever, there are actually things that we can do right now. <laughs> to help ourselves and protect ourselves right now without looking, you know, two years or four years down the road for the next savior. It's like we we can actually do these things. The states have tremendous amounts of power. We're just not using it. That that's my point that people are missing. Everyone's like, oh, so Daniel, so you mean you don't want him? You want Ron DeSantis? And I'm like, well, I like Ron DeSantis, but no, that's not my point. My point is that every governor and red county official and legislator should be a Ron DeSantis together. And that would be dynamite. And, you know, like, it's only the Florida Surgeon General that put out a statement said, no, we're not going to, you know, do this. ASIP is meeting. He acknowledged that. He says it's not going to change anything here. Uh, to my knowledge, not a single one of the other 49 put out anything. And, in fact, the health departments in every other red state is indistinguishable from New York, Maryland, California, you name it. Yep. Texas, Oklahoma, yep. they're all terrible. And yep. I'm not seeing a difference. Now, we, we have a couple minutes left, and I want to weave in another – kryptonite on the conservative movement and that's race um you could count how many fiscal social national security public safety policies are in place because of the race card and because our side has been unwilling to confront it and it's gotten so bad over the years i mean look it was our whole lifetime um i think you would agree with me because i know you're willing to kick this hornet's nest like few are we have had systemic racism, okay? I mean, the left is right in that sense. Um, we are They say we're cowards on race, and there's systemic racism, and I agree with both of those statements. Uh, my entire life, we, we have had systemic racism through every aspect of the economy, of politics, of law. You have tendentious treatment of non-whites codified in it, and no one, I mean, even, even I, in my earlier part of my career, I was scared to say that. It, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's true and it's extremely harmful because yeah. a blood libel is when not just when you lie, but when you when really it's the other way around and the violence or the hatred is on one, you know, parts of one side and you say it's on the other side. So it further um, green lights the, the violence that really does exist on the other side to further persecute the others. Now, we don't like talking about this because we don't view, hey, Pedro, you know. You're Hispanic, um, and I'm white of you know European Jewish descent. Like we don't give a darn. Like we we view people as individuals, right? We do. So it's we don't like talking about this, 
But what do you do when you come two generations into this where we literally violate the Declaration of Independence? We literally treat people differently because of race. And I want you to talk about this in the context also of crime. Take as much time as you need. Uh, This case of Elijah Dewitt, uh, this this young 17-year-old boy was murdered in Georgia. And just this imbalance um, in reporting on black and white crime versus white and on black crime and, and how that has affected both parties in terms of their criminal justice policy that everyone's you know railing against record crime now. Yeah. Well, first, I think the, the, the important thing about talking about anti-whiteism, which I think is just a, a good way to put it, um, there is this idea that if you're talking about it, it's because you want to just kind of race bait and be controversial and that there are much more important issues at hand than talking about things like this. And that's just that's a complete misunderstanding of the issue. I really think that anti-whiteism is somewhere between a religion and a totalitarianism. And what I mean by that is when we talk about totalitarianism, we're talking about a way of organizing your society where every aspect, political or not, or rather every aspect of society becomes political. And there is an ideology that informs literally everything about the world that you live in, from the language to things that you might consider not political. It just it touches everything in the same way that other forms of totalitarianism, like Marxist-Leninism or whatever, uh, have done in the past. And an example, a really recent one, this is in the last day or so, the Associated Press reported that the NHL's first internal demographic study found its workforce to be overwhelmingly right. <laughs> and Kim, Kim Davis, who, a black woman, uh, she's the NHL EVP of social impact, uh, said that they're going to fix the problem. The problem being white people. This is The NHL is basically talking about whites as if they're kind of a, a virus that needs yeah. to be exterminated. And then Maybe three days ago, Charles Blow published a piece in the New York Times uh, admitting something important that we said it's not happening. And if you say it's happening, you're a racist. Charles Blow said that as America becomes less white, which is not happening, by the way, as America becomes less white, it's going to become less racist. However, we can't let our guard down because there will be a new crop of, of racists who are basically white adjacent, people who have fair skin and therefore are pre- fairer skin uh, and are therefore prejudiced against blacks or what he calls anti-black uh, anti-blackness and again we're, we're talking about a race of people as if they're a virus and and we also need to be prepared to inoculate against the mutations of that virus so i think it's fair to describe this as a kind of you said blood libel but, but i think it's it's totalitarian in the sense that it Apart from the cultural aspect, it does inform our policy. We literally have made our communities less safe in the name of anti-racism and in the name of this religion, uh, where I I really think for a lot of people it reaches the the level of a kind of uh, religious belief. And so this brings us to Elijah DeWitt. He's a a teenage kid who's on a date with his girlfriend, uh, and these two black kids um, and him, they, they have an exchange, and... It's not clear what is said, but within the, according to the police, within a second is, is the term they use. Uh, the, the black kids uh, shoot um, Elijah DeWitt dead. It, it, essentially a kind of execution. 
And it's what's not clear is whether it, it sounds like they knew each other, but the point is, is that uh, this kid's on a date with his girlfriend, and within a second of, of, of you know in, it, having a discussion or an engagement with these two black kids, they essentially just execute him. It was just a brutal, ruthless murder, right? And the really shocking thing about it was, and I know that you're not supposed to judge, right? Because no one wants to be in this position and you, you can't judge people who are, but, I, but it is still shocking nevertheless, was the fact that the father immediately forgave the killers. And he said that we don't know their background. We don't know what kind of hardships they've been through. And it's this kind of implicit acknowledgement that basically the people who killed my son have more have diversity points and therefore I should kind of, I, it's better for me to forgive and forget. And the, the really, really, uh, to add to the, to the terribleness of this, there were so many Christians who, who were just defending the father vigorously, saying he did the right thing. And anybody who says otherwise is, is, a, is, a, is a fake Christian. You, you, like, I think the thing about forgiveness is, in the context of, uh, of, of our, our events right now, is that, well, one, people should have to ask for forgiveness. And two, uh, the justice, I think, is more important than forgiveness right now. And, and I think for a lot of people, the forgiveness part actually takes precedence over the justice part. And uh, what, what that actually translates to into terms of policy is that these people, like these, these killers, will go through a kind of like rehabilitative process where they get released in, into the public again, where they, they victimize more people. And it's just insane because it really seems to stem from a kind of religious belief. Why? But I'm trying to figure this out, and this is why I brought you on, because I found your observation about the Elijah DeWitt case very poignant. It wasn't just the fact, okay, this is another case of a black-on-white crime that never gets talked about in the media, whereas, you know, when it's the other way around, which is like, you know, per capita, 155th or so of of, of black-on-white crime, they go crazy. But but what, what bothered you, and you're, you're articulating this point, that immediately there was this forgiveness that you don't usually see, and it was very public, and the media made sure to pick up on it, almost like it was contrived. And certainly, to my knowledge, I don't think I've seen it the other way around much no, uh, in no. those instances. And so so why? And, and this gets back to the foot washing or the foot bowing, the stuff you had in the in, – uh, with BLM, and you actually had FBI agents bowing down to black, random people whose skin color happened to be black during the whole Floyd stuff. Um, why? Like, like, where does this, where does this come from? Um, yep. I mean, yep. like, I why? I I just is it that everyone's taught from day one about slavery and everything, so they just feel that they have to emotionally compensate for it? Where does this come from? Yeah, well, I think that's that's an important point, by the way, and you never see this kind of outpouring of of instant and unconditional forgiveness uh, when when the perpetrator is white. And I, I know that again, uh, this this makes people clutch their pearls. But I did not hear anybody say that they forgive James Fields, uh, the guy who crashed his car into a protester at Charlottesville, and mm. uh, it, it, he was about. 20 or 22 years old. I think he was 20 when that happened. He had, he's serving life in prison. James Fields' life ended at 20. And he, I mean, like this kid was the poster child of a broken home. Um, really had, he had a really difficult life and it, he just kind of ended up in, you know, in these politically extreme currents, uh, goes to Charlottesville and ends up in this horrific accident that kills uh, one, that leaves one woman dead. And his life ended at 20. And I did not hear anybody say that they that they forgave him for that. 
and that he should get a second chance. So yeah, I think, I think as horrific as that whole incident was, I think it's important to note what you just said. You will never see this never. kind of outpouring the other way around. Even when the victim has a kind of, you know, uh, unfortunate socioeconomic uh, circumstances uh, about his life, like James Fields did, uh, you, you, you just won't. You just will not. He, he is the face of evil. Um, and so why? I, I, th- I basically think there's no one single reason. Uh, it just seems like the result of decades of like, so you, you don't immediately forgive the killers of your son uh, unless there's some serious social engineering going on, unless there's some serious generational conditioning that specifically seems to affect whites in this country that convinces them that as white people, it's just better for them to prostrate themselves uh, before the altar of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that, that somehow that it's like this is the kind of work that they can do on earth uh, to like achieve salvation or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it, I'm, it sounds crazy until you hear people talk about it. And the foot washing was a real thing that happened. I'm actually working on an article about that that should be published fairly soon, kind of a, a recollection of what happened in 2020. And you actually had uh, white people, uh, police officers as well who got on their knees and washed the feet of, of uh, black, uh, black community members during the BLM riots and, and begged for forgiveness, like through tears. It, it's absolutely insane. And I, I, again, I don't think there's any simple and clean uh, answer. I just think that this is the result of decades of social engineering that has been geared towards essentially subjugating white people. Now, what is the agenda? We're talking about more societally uh, people downstream buying into it, but at the top of the food chain, whoever those people are that seem to induce all these calamities and control everything and control policy, uh, as Jeff Sessions always said, the master of the masters of the universe. Yeah. What is motivating them? I mean, so part of the problem is the conservatives never want to believe anything. Like, if you would have told me three years ago they're going to inject death shots in everyone and literally kill probably four hundred thousand people in America and and injure severely several million i I wouldn't believe it but they 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 are they're doing that and you've got to get onto it it's the same thing here the white genocide that used to be a catch call phrase of people that largely were legitimate kind of like white nationalist type of people and you know some some of these kind of sinister people you wouldn't want to hang out with um but i mean (laughs) as time went on i mean I, I, yeah. I just take their own words. They say it. They literally yeah. say it. Why? Yeah. And they're all white. The ones yeah. who are doing it are white. Yeah. Most well, I of think, them. Um, well, I think that there is, it's certainly true that let's call them the elites, but there's, there, there's a kind of flight from white in the sense that there are people who are, you know, very powerful and influential who are white, but maybe don't, don't think of themselves in that category. Uh, and, they, and they do openly look down at like the unreconstructed white person who just doesn't hate himself and, and does not, you know, throw himself uh, on his face um, it, 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 in the wake of like the George Floyd thing or something like that. Right. Like that, those people are, uh, I think in a different category and, and there are white people who are very powerful, like I said, who just don't think of themselves in those terms. Like they, they uh, they're in some ways, like they, they're post-racial almost. I'm, I'm not sure, but I think that's almost um, irrelevant because the outcome is the same. And I, basically, if you can convince the core demographic of your country that it's fundamentally evil and that it needs to um, to constantly kind of just acquiesce to uh, to these themes and to these myths 
about you know permanent uh, the, the original sin of white racism, then that is a really that's going to be a really compliant population that is going to be very easy to control and manipulate. And it's just kind of going to go along with whatever you can frame to them in those terms. And I think that that is almost regardless of, of you know, like the individuals who are involved in it, that is the outcome of it. And, I, and you can see it, right? I mean, the United States essentially allowed two years ago race riots, like the most destructive race riots in modern history. Yeah. Like if you look at insurance claims and things like that, we basically just allowed that to happen with impunity because we were told that we deserved it. Basically, white people were told that they deserved it. Yeah. And... Um, most of the people involved in that stuff were uh, were released from jail. I think there was an article in The Guardian that did an analysis of everyone who was arrested during the, the summer of St. Floyd, and most people uh, got off light uh, if they did any time at all. And in New York City pretty, pretty much released all of its looters who went on to go uh, loot some more and then presumably re- uh, uh, released them again. And I think it's really insane, but you can see that – if anything that we're saying sounds like, you know, like a, a kooky uh, conspiracy theory, well, it, it, it isn't because it's happening in real time. The Half the country was convinced, uh, or rather half of white people in this country, maybe more than half, were convinced that it was okay for that to happen. Why? Because they're white and they have to go along with it. Of course, it also had the added benefit of affecting a gigantic wealth transfer. Like that was, I mean, that, that's, that's something yes. I think is really kind of, we don't talk about that enough, about how BL, like the BLM race riots also affected a massive wealth transfer. Like by destroying all of these small businesses and things like that, it just kind of funneled money upwards. And also prestige, you know, like organizations that everyone just kind of knew were terrible and corrupt, like Citigroup. Well, Citigroup got a, re, uh, got a kind of a facelift, right? Because Citigroup came out against racism. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine that they like rip people off and prey on people, right? Uh, financially, because they're against racism. So you can, you can kind of see it, that this serves um, different purposes, none of which are good, but it all hinges on white people just being convinced that this is somehow their moral duty. Yes. And, and this, this is the albatross around the necks of these Republicans running. If you have a Republican that doesn't get it, then they're a joke because, like you said, they'll say they're fiscally conservative, and they're not. And one of the reasons, one of the big reasons is this issue because – See, the joke was that we're always like, okay, buddy, what are you going to cut? What are you going to cut? And yeah. the answer always inevitably was nothing, and they wouldn't. And, and part of it is because, guess what? You'll be called a racist. Um, I mean, the original racism was actually on fiscal policy, the, you know, the allegations of that. And, and that's the thing. Until they're willing to kick their love for the defense establishment, pharma, the race hustling, none of these promises, to the extent they're even promising change, is going to matter. They're the same Republicans that always existed. But again, you know, Pedro, you're right that in order to be optimistic, you have to slay those idols and understand that we need to try different tactics, focus a little bit more local, focus on different strategies, not to try to rebuild the old, which is irremediably broken anyway. Um, We're a little bit over time here, but I appreciated the extra time you gave us today. Where could people follow your work? Yeah, so you can read my column at uh, chroniclesmagazine.org. I'm on Substack at contra.substack.com, and I'm on pretty much every social media platform under the same handle, Emeriticus, E-M-E-R-I-T-I-C-U-S. Emeriticus, okay, well, make sure you follow him before he's uh, 
canceled like I was. Pedro, thanks so much for joining us and your insight. And thank you all for listening. Folks, God bless y'all. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>